I'm James Brian Smith. Welcome to the Things Above podcast. Today's thought from above is this. Our doubts do not trouble Jesus. If you missed the pod episode or this is your first time listening, this is a podcast for what we call Mind Discipleship. It's a podcast for those who want to set their minds on things above. That's where the name of the podcast comes from, from Colossians 3, 1 and 2, where Paul encourages us to set our minds on things above. Setting our minds on good, beautiful, and true thoughts, on uplifting, encouraging, life-giving, biblically-based thoughts from above is not easy. And that is why we do this podcast, to provide for you in each episode a thought from above that you can dwell upon so that your heart will be warmed and you will become an epiphany of grace. When you think of the disciple named Thomas, what comes to mind? What is the disciple Thomas known for? Well, I bet a lot of you are saying, doubting, doubting. We even have that phrase in our vernacular, oh, so-and-so is just a doubting Thomas. And this comes from the passage in John's Gospel in chapter 20, where Thomas, who was one of the 12 disciples, was not with the rest of the disciples when Jesus first appeared. Jesus, when he rose, appeared first to a group of women, and then later in the evening appeared to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. And so the disciples said to Thomas, this is in John 20, verse 25, we've seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, well, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. So, because of that, Thomas goes down in history as Doubting Thomas. But I beg to differ. I think when you look at the totality of the story of Thomas, what we know about Thomas, even this story, you begin to get a different perspective. And I think one that helps the rest of us deal with our doubts, because doubts are a real part of our faith. So, again, Let's look at the story as I just told it. The other disciples say, we've seen the Lord. What does that mean? They got to physically see Jesus. Jesus appeared to the other disciples just as he had to the women on the morning of what we call Easter Sunday. And so when they come and say, we've seen the Lord, Thomas is basically saying, well, I haven't. Like, I, I haven't seen. Unless I see, I'm not going to believe. Now, here's what I contend. Thomas has a kind of faith. It's a kind of faith. His faith at this point is based on the faith or the sight of other people. So when the disciples say to him, Thomas, we've seen him. He says, well, okay, okay. I don't disbelieve you guys, but I really want to believe and I just need to see. Because sight in John's gospel is a metaphor for experience, a connection with God, a real, to be able to see God. So blind people are healed and, and their ability to see becomes a metaphor for awakening to the reality of who Jesus is. So the disciples had an experience that Thomas had not yet had. But again, I want to make the point, these other disciples and followers of Jesus 
they had been given the opportunity to see. For example, Mary, all of the Marys, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, even Jesus' own mother, Mary, they didn't believe until they saw him. And then we read this in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, 10 and 11. Listen to this verse. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. Who told what? They told him, we've seen him. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe him. That's what the, when the disciples heard from the women, hey, we've seen him, they said, uh, it's just an idle tale. We don't believe you. So when Thomas comes along and says, hey, guys, I heard what you said, but unless I see, I won't believe. Well, that was true of everyone. It was true for the women until they saw him. It was true for the other disciples until they saw him. So Thomas is really no different. So to call him, oh, he's old doubting Thomas. He was no different than anybody else. But I want to talk about faith for a minute because it's such an important word. And I've said several times on this podcast, I've quoted Dallas Willard, who said this. This is his definition of faith. Faith is an extension of knowledge based on knowledge. Faith is an extension of knowledge based on knowledge. We often think faith is trying to believe something we absolutely don't believe. We just we want to, but we don't. That's what we think. Oh, faith is believing what you don't. That's not what faith is. Faith is an extension of knowledge based on knowledge. So we have an experience that leads us to knowledge. We know something. And then based on that knowledge, we act because we know something is right, something is true, something is reliable. When you sit down in a chair, for example, very rarely do you test the chair before you sit down in it. In fact, if you did every time, people go, I think something's wrong with that person. You just, there's a chair and you have knowledge of chairs and you sit down because when you sit down, the chair holds you. At least you assume that it will. You sit down by faith that the chair will hold you. And that faith is an extension of knowledge. I've sat down in chairs before and it holds me. The same is true in just about every aspect of our lives. We go to a restaurant, we get food. By faith, we assume it's fine. There's nothing wrong with the food. It's not contaminated. It's not expired. There's nothing wrong with it. You eat it by faith. It could be bad. You don't know it. But by faith, you're going to eat it. When you're driving on the highway, by faith, you trust that driver's going to stay in his lane. And that person coming at me in a, in a two-lane highway is going to stay in theirs. You just trust it. You have faith in it. But it's based on knowledge. Because you've driven before and people stay in their lane for the most part. So, faith is an extension of knowledge based on knowledge. This is really important because when you look at what faith is in the Bible, you see there needs to be an experience. So, again, I'm trying to make the case that Thomas is unfairly given the moniker he is doubting Thomas. Because if you look in John's Gospel that we've been looking at, if you go back Nine chapters. We were in chapter 20. We go back to John 11. In verse 14, it says this, Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and 
let us go to him. So Jesus is telling the disciples, he's gotten the news that Lazarus has died. Jesus knows, I need to go to Lazarus, and I know what's going to happen. Jesus knows he's going to raise him from the dead. No one else really knows that. But here's what's important. For Jesus to go back to that region, it's going to be very dangerous. But listen to this next verse. Thomas, who is called the twin, Thomas said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Wait a minute, you mean doubting Thomas? Oh, back in John 11, Thomas is the only disciple who says, Hey, this is going to be a dangerous mission, Jesus. But you know what? I'm with you. Let's go. We could probably die. That, that is a very real possibility. But let's go. Let's do it. Thomas is a person of faith. He has a kind of faith. I think there are different stages of faith. The first stage of faith is what I call longing faith. This is when a person's basically saying, I want to believe. I really want to believe. Not long ago, I was visiting with a young man who um, I play a lot of tennis, and uh, I get to meet a lot of people who don't know what I do for a living or anything about They just know there's that old guy who volleys pretty good. That's about all they know about me. At least that's what they tell me. But this young man got to know a little bit about my faith background, know what I do for a living. And he's like, yeah, I just I don't really hang around Christians very much. I said, that's fine. He said, you know, here's the thing. I really want to believe. I just, I don't, but I really want to believe. And I said, well, good for you. And he was like, wait, I just told you I don't believe. I said, yeah, but you want to believe. And that is a form of faith. That is longing faith. And that is a part of it. For many people, that is where they are. Maybe that's where you are today. So I'm not sure where I stand in all this, but boy, I'd like to believe. And then another stage of faith is what I call vicarious faith. It's when the faith that we have is really the faith of someone else, and we're kind of living off of that faith. Dallas Willard said this, For many years as a young man, I did not have my own faith. My faith was the faith of my grandmother. Never forget when I heard Dallas say that. This man of great faith. Right? Like I, I put Dallas as high as I can in terms of a person of faith. And yet there he was saying, you know, as a young man, I didn't really have my own faith, but I had this grandmother who was really devout. And he talked to me a lot about his grandmother. He, he talked about how she was incredibly faithful. She read the scriptures. She prayed. She had a very vibrant relationship with God. And Dallas saw that. And he's said, you know, I don't think I had my own faith right then at that stage in my life. But I had a faith, and it really was kind of her faith. In a sense, Thomas is in that same position because the disciples are saying, hey, we've seen him. And he's like, yeah, yeah, guys, I, yeah. He wants to believe, and he believes that they're telling him the truth, but it isn't his yet. Because the third stage of faith is what I call mystical faith. Mystical faith is based on an actual experience. It's when we've had some kind of encounter with God, and it can take so many different forms. I mean, some people will find it in nature. Some people will find it. They open the Bible. There's a verse. I've heard countless stories of ways people are encountered by God, but they have an actual experience. I would call it a mystical experience. Mystical because 
It is mysterious. You can't quite grasp what happened here. But it was very real. So by mystical, I don't mean that it was make-believe. It was something that you had, an experience that a person has. And we say, well, that was very tangible and real for me. I've talked on this podcast that it was August 8, 1980. I remember the day that I had a very tangible experience of the presence of Jesus. I prayed. I'd been searching for six months, reading and thinking through and talking with other Christians and journeying towards that place, but I wasn't there. And then, August 8, 1980, I prayed and I felt something real. And that something did not leave me for days. And it propelled me in a certain direction. And I look back now and say, that was very real for me. Others around me say, well, I'd, what happened to him? I don't know. But for me, it was very real. And it marked the beginning of a journey. A journey of faith in Jesus, who I encountered in that moment. One of my favorite writers is, is Anne Lamott. Anne Lamott, she's raw, she's real, she's rough and, and on the edge with the way she writes and talks about her faith. But Boy, when she writes about it, it's very compelling and very beautiful. Here's Anne Lamott's story. She grew up in Northern California, and her parents were atheists. And as a young teenager, she started drinking and using drugs, and this accelerated to a point that by the time she was 30, she was in a really bad place. Um, she was struggling with addiction, with self-loathing. She was, as we say, at the proverbial end of her rope. She was as I understand the story, staying in someone's houseboat in Marin County. She was, there's a lot of these houseboat kind of things where people live and she just was there and she was drinking pretty hard. And she had this moment, she says, when she felt the tangible presence of Jesus. And a week later, she finds herself at a Presbyterian church, as she said, pulled in by the music. Her story is really profound, but I'm going to let her tell it. This is how she describes what happened to her. She writes, I did not mean to be a Christian. I've been very clear about that. My first words upon encountering the presence of Jesus for the first time were, I would rather die. <laughs> but I never felt like I had much choice with Jesus. He was relentless. I didn't experience him so much as the hound of heaven, as the old description has it, but as the alley cat of heaven, who seemed to believe that if it just keeps showing up, mewling outside your door, you'd eventually open up and give him a bowl of milk. I love that. Not the hound of heaven, but the alley cat of heaven. Jesus just kept showing up in her life and in her experience. She goes on to say, I resisted as long as I could. I did not want to follow Jesus. He wore me out. He won. I let him in. And this is what I said at the moment of my conversion. I said, blank it. <laughs> Fill in the blank. She says that. I said, blank it. Come on in. I quit. And then she writes, it really wasn't so bad. It was even pretty nice. I mean, Jesus loved me. I'm, I mean, what a savior, right? And then he picked me up like a mother cat by the scruff of my neck and deposited me in a little church across from the flea market in Marin's Black Ghetto. That's where I was when I came to. And then I came to believe. Now you hear a story like that. You say, well, did that happen? Well, it did happen. That's how she described her mystical experience of God and concludes this. So I was a drunk new Christian and I saw Jesus as sort of my friend and companion whose presence I could feel all the time. I didn't want to be a Christian. 
I was raised to think Christians are idiots. But now I go to church every Sunday, which is like going to the gas station once a week and really, really filling up. What a wonderful story. Again, she's raw, she's real. But I love that about Anne's testimony saying, this is what happened to me. And she could not escape Jesus. And now some, well, she's in her late 60s now. I mean, she's for over three decades, she has been walking with Jesus. She's had a very real uh, life of faith. And she's been a part of the church, even though her faith looks maybe different to, than you'd expect in some ways. But you can't get around that. That is what happened to her. And that is what happened to Thomas. So back to the story in John 20, beginning in verse 26. So a week later, his disciples were again in the house. Now think about this. So he makes his proclamation. Hey, guys, I heard what you said, but unless I see, unless I touch, I'm... And then it says, a week later. (laughs) A whole week has passed. I like thinking about that. Like, what did they do for a week? He probably questioned him over and over. Like, what did he look like? What did he say? What did he... So a week later, his disciples were again in the house. Thomas is with them. And although the doors were shut, that's important, because Jesus didn't come through the door as normal, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. I love that that's the first thing he says to them, particularly to Thomas, because Thomas has been going, God, why I wasn't there? I haven't seen it. I need to see. He looks at Thomas and says, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Believe. And Thomas said, My Lord and my God. Wow, he has the experience. And then Jesus says to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. That's an important verse. John 20, 29. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. To whom is Jesus speaking when he asks that? Well, certainly he's speaking to the original Christians, because John's, John's gospel would be distributed amongst Christian communities. Over the next hundred plus years, they would read John's gospel to each other. And think about them. So you're in this little church, let's say it's 75 AD. You're with this group of other Christian, other believers, and you hear those words, blessed are those who've not seen and yet come to believe. He's speaking to them, isn't he? And he's speaking to you and to me. Because even though I had an experience of Christ, even though Anne Lamont had this experience, she didn't see him. I didn't see him. I didn't get to touch him like Thomas did. But I came to believe. And Jesus says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. So, Thomas we got to stop calling him Doubting Thomas. I think we should call him Faithful Thomas because he was the one, remember, who was willing to die for Jesus on the way to see Lazarus. And Thomas was the very first person to explicitly acknowledge the divinity of Jesus. In all the Gospels, it's Thomas there in John 20, the first one to say, My Lord and my God. Not just you're the Messiah, but you are God.
he acknowledges the divinity. He's the first person. That's Thomas. And Thomas would go on to have an incredible ministry, an evangelist. He would, in 50 AD, he would go to India, and he would establish seven churches in India. And those churches would then grow, and from those original churches today, the church in India traces its roots to Thomas. In fact, the church in India, known as the Martoma Church, M-A-R-T-H-O-M-A, Martoma Church, is an ancient Syrian church based on those churches that Thomas established. And the World Council of Churches says there's just over one million people today that are a part of the Martoma Church. Isn't that beautiful? I love it. So we think, oh, Thomas, oh, that doubter. No, no. Thomas, the story is so beautiful. Thomas had a faith, and it was journeying towards full confession that Jesus was Lord. But I love that this story is there because I often encounter Christians who say, you know, I, I, I have some doubts, and I just feel really bad about them. And I'll say, don't feel bad about them. Doubts, doubts are fine. Doubts are a natural part of faith. Frederick Buechner said, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. I love that image. You ever had ants in your pants? Like, like can I keep, keep you wiggling around? Doubts are ants in the pants of faith. They keep us moving. They keep us questioning. Doubts are fine. Jesus' willingness to engage Thomas in the midst of his doubts encourages you and me today to bring our doubts to him. Jesus isn't troubled by our doubts. Our skepticism is no surprise to him. Our honest questions do not offend Jesus. Jesus can handle any question. Jesus can accept any challenge. Jesus can answer any inquiry. And Jesus is relentless. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Hey folks, I want to let you know about a recent development here at Friends University where I teach. We have an undergraduate degree program in Christian spiritual formation, a Bachelor of Arts degree, that's both a first and a second major. Now, I teach in this program, as well as some other amazing professors, and I am pleased to announce that Friends University is offering an amazing scholarship of up to $18,000 per year to students interested in studying Christian formation as a part of their college experience. In addition to this amazing scholarship, there'll be hands-on learning with ministry leaders, working with me and others, and great opportunities for internships. Again, this is for both a first major, those who plan on going into ministry, as well as those seeking it as a second major, meaning those who are going to become accountants or therapists or graphic designers or teachers or engineers, any number of other vocations, but they also want to grow in their spiritual lives while in college and get a pretty big scholarship to help pay for college. So if you know someone who would benefit from a degree like this, check out our website, ApprenticeInstitute.org, and click on the Friends University tab. Again, ApprenticeInstitute.org, and click on the Friends University tab. I hope you join me next time. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast. And if you'd like to donate to the Things Above podcast, you can do so on our website, ApprenticeInstitute.org. Click the Donate Now button at the top of the page. It's really easy, and it would mean a lot to me. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. 
And you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you're asked, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, things above.